0: good morning again and welcome to Cross Connection Church Online. If you join with us for our online services regularly, then you know that I wasn't here to go through the scriptures with you over the last couple of weeks. That's because I had the privilege of traveling to the Philippines last week to be able to teach at a pastors and leaders conference in the Philippines. It was a real blessing to be able to go there and to see the work that God has been doing there among the islands of the Philippines for the last, you know, 25, 30 years through the Calvary Chapel movement of churches, which we are connected with here at Cross Connection Church. And in fact, our church was able to be involved in helping plant some of the early Calvary Chapel churches there back in the 1980s and 1990s. And now there are over 80 Calvary Chapel churches throughout the Philippines. And many of those churches are pastored by pastors who were raised up, nationals from there in the islands, and it's an amazing thing to see. And there was like 200 people at this conference that I went to, um, serving the Lord there in that area, and just doing a really great work. So I bring you greetings, if you will, from the churches in the Philippines. They greet you online here on YouTube for Cross Connection Church Online. Today, we are back in the book of Deuteronomy, as we have been over the last many, many months. and coming finally to the closing chapters of this passage, coming out of the passage that really deals with a lot of the statutes and judgments that God was speaking to the children of Israel through Moses thousands of years ago, just before they come into the promised land. And more than, well, nearly 4,000 years ago, a man named Abram received a call from God. And we Find it in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, where we read this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Eventually, Abram... He followed and heeded the call of God and as he followed the Lord, as the Lord had spoken to him, ultimately just a few verses later we read this in verse 5. So they, Abram and his family, they came to the land of Canaan and Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. When we see things like this, it's given us very specific locations and the Canaanites were in the land during that period of time. And then the Lord appeared to Abram, the same one who had called him to get out of his country in verse one and to follow him. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Notice that there in that passage, in the place that God appeared to Abram, he built an altar to the Lord and he called the name of that place Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. God had promised Abram, follow me and I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to multiply you and bring from you many descendants. In another place in Genesis, God reaffirms that promise to Abram and says, your descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. So I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make your name great and you will be a blessing. And when Abram obeyed and followed God, God appeared to him and said, To your descendants, those many multitudinous descendants, I'm going to give this land, this land that you have come to, that I have called you to follow me into. He says, I will give this land to you and to your descendants. And there in that place where God gave him that promise, it says there in Genesis chapter 12 verse 7 that Abram built an altar and he worshiped the Lord there. Now you fast forward from that time of Abram, when God gave him that promise in Genesis chapter 12, you fast forward 600 years after Abram, and now his descendants, numbering in the hundreds of thousands, they are standing on the border of that very same land of which God had said to Abram, to your descendants, I will give this land. After they had spent hundreds of years as slaves in Egypt, after they had spent Four decades wandering in the wilderness. They're now at the border of blessing. And this book that we've been studying through going all the way back to the early part of 2020 is the time as this group of people, the descendants of Abraham are standing there at the border of the promised land, getting ready to come in. The point at which they are reaffirming the covenant that Abraham's descendants had made with God at Mount Sinai 40 years prior to this event. You can read about that in the book of Exodus. I'm kind of giving you a whole bunch of different things that happened in the first five books of the Bible. But 40 years before Deuteronomy, before the children of Abraham, his descendants were standing there at the border of this promised land that they're gonna go in and and take hold of, that God had promised 600 years prior to give to Abraham's descendants. 40 years before Deuteronomy, in the book of Exodus, god established his covenant with the people the children of israel or the children of abraham and now he's reaffirming that covenant because during that 40-year period from the time that god gave the covenant there at mount sinai until the time that moses is with the children of israel at the border of blessing here in deuteronomy that generation that received the law and entered into the covenant with god they they were unfaithful to that covenant they fell away from the lord so Now, a new generation of the children of that generation that initially received the covenant, a new generation is standing before the Lord and they're re-entering, if you will, or reaffirming that covenant, getting ready to take possession of the thing that God had promised to them hundreds of years before. And over the last several months, we have been considering the various stipulations or the statutes and the judgments of this covenant. And statutes and judgments, stipulations on everything from who they could marry to what constitutes capital punishment and then how to deal with issues in a just way. All of this has been typical covenantal language from the same historical period and location, which is the ancient Near East in the late second millennia BC, so 3000 years ago, the language of the book of Deuteronomy is very similar to covenant documents from that period of time from other people groups other than the children of Israel. And so now after the stipulations, after all these statutes and judgments have been given to the children of Israel, which we've been studying over the last many weeks here at Cross Connection Church, after all these stipulations, we read this in Deuteronomy chapter 26. And, and as I read this at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 26, I want you to pay very careful attention to the mutual relationship between the Lord God and the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. So pay very careful attention to that mutual language between them here in Deuteronomy chapter 26, picking it up at verse 16, we read this. This day, the Lord, your God, commands you to observe these statutes and judgments that we have been studying through together for probably the last several months. Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them, these statutes and judgments with all of your heart and with all your soul. Now note this, today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you, that you should keep all his commandments, and that he will set you high above all the nations which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. If you consider that language there in Deuteronomy chapter twenty six, verses sixteen through nineteen, if you consider it carefully, then you will see very clearly that this is what we would call covenantal language. Now, the challenge with that is that we don't really use covenant or covenantal language very much in the 21st century. About the only area in the 21st century Western culture that we live in, where we still have something that is somewhat similar to what is happening here in this passage is what we see in the traditional Western wedding ceremony. For those of you that are married or at least have been to a wedding, and I'm assuming that probably most of you have at least been to a wedding, I'm sure that you can see some of the covenantal connection from Deuteronomy chapter 26, what I just read there in verses 16 through 19, to the portion of the wedding ceremony, the traditional wedding ceremony, that we call the declaration of intent. Now, you may not even know that it's called the declaration of intent, but that happens to be probably the most important and legally binding essential aspect of the wedding ceremonies that we have been a part of or that we've gone to as far as the government sees it. You see, the major requirement for a marriage to have taken place is for both individuals, the man and the woman, the husband, potential husband and potential wife, for both individuals to have mutually and consensually agreed before witnesses, all the witnesses there are important. So you have to have the man and the woman before witnesses mutually and consensually agreeing to take one another as husband and wife by saying the words, I do. In formal traditional Jewish weddings, today and even in times past, there is a marital contract that is drawn up. It's called a ketubah and in one sense, it, it, it's almost like the idea of a prenuptial agreement, although it's not, it's not exactly the same thing. That, that kind of has bad connotations, but in traditional Jewish weddings, they would write up this marital contract, this ketubah between the husband and the wife, and it establishes what are the husband's responsibilities to his wife and what are the wife's responsibilities to the husband. Primarily it focuses on the husband, but it is a mutual contract between the two, the husband and the wife, they would write up this contract as a part of the covenant of marriage. And then the marriage contract, or this ketubah, it formally establishes the obligations of the husband to his wife and the wife to her husband. And in Jewish tradition, the ketubah was established before the wedding ceremony. So really during the period of engagement or during the period of betrothal, this ketubah would be written up to establish what are the obligations of the husband to the wife and the wife to the husband. And then at the wedding ceremony, it would be read at the wedding ceremony and it would be done before witnesses and even witnesses would sign this whole thing. And it's kind of that whole I do portion of the traditional wedding ceremony. So when you are a part of a wedding or you go to a wedding and you hear the officiant, pastor or whoever it may be, say, do you so-and-so take so-and-so to be your lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, and all that sort of stuff. And when the groom says, I do, or the bride says, I do, in that ceremony, that is, as the government sees it, that is like the legally binding and essential component of the marriage, the declaration of intent. The husband is saying, I do, to the wife, and the wife is saying, I do, to the husband. And if in the future as it relates to the ketubah, the the marital contract between a Jewish bride and a Jewish groom, if in the future the conditions of the ketubah would be broken or breached, then that would be equivalent to the the forfeiting of the covenantal relationship, which is exactly what happened with the previous generation of the children of Israel. We have this one generation of the children of Israel who Moses is reaffirming the covenant with before they go into the promised land, 40 years prior to that at Mount Sinai, their parents and grandparents had entered into a covenant with God, but they they broke it. And so they broke God's covenant. And that's why they wandered in the wilderness. It's a big part of the reason why they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So now you fast forward from the time of Exodus at Mount Sinai to this time of the children of Israel reaffirming the covenant as they get ready to come into the promised land. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 26, we essentially have the signing of the ketubah, if you will, between God and Israel in something like a marital ceremony, a covenant ceremony. And then what happens after they, they make this announcement to one another there in this passage, you, here's your responsibilities to the Lord and here's God's responsibilities to you, Deuteronomy 26 verses 16 through 19. Then we read this in Deuteronomy chapter 27, the opening verses of chapter 27. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, he commanded the people saying, keep all the commandments which I commanded you today, which we have studied to you for the last many months here at Cross Connection Church. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan. So the only thing that stood between them and the promised land was the Jordan River. And so Moses says on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over the Jordan, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore, it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal, there's a mountain in Israel called Mount Ebal, you shall set up these whitewashed stones that you're going to take up and you're going to put the law inscribed upon these whitewashed stones, which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime, and there you shall build, note this, an altar, You shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and you shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. So what is it that's going on here in this passage? Well, There in Deuteronomy chapter 26, it's as if the marital contract between God and the children of Israel is being signed. The ketubah is being signed before God and the children of Israel. And then it has been read in the hearing of the children of Israel and God. God is there as well by Moses. He's the officiant. He's the mediator of the covenant. And now... Israel is just about to come into the promised land, the same land that God had promised to their father Abraham 600 years prior to this. they're about to come into the promised land. And when they do come into the promised land, they are told by Moses that they need to build an altar on a mountain called Mount Ebal. And at that altar of uncut whitewashed stones that are gonna be etched with the carving of the statutes and judgments of God, they are gonna build this altar to the Lord and what's going to take place at that altar well effectively at that altar they're going to become the bride of god they're going to enter into that covenant marital relationship with god it's as if through the book of deuteronomy this is kind of like the betrothal period or the betrothal document they're already god's people but they're gonna enter into almost like a marital relationship with God, a covenant relationship with God. And all of this has been the developing of the marital contract. Here's all of your responsibilities and here's what I, God, am gonna do for you. And here's how you need to respond to that and how I'll respond to that. And I wanna suggest to you that had Moses been permitted to go by God into the promised land, because he's not gonna be allowed to go into the promised land, but had Moses been permitted to go into the promised land, then all of this that has taken place on the east side of the Jordan River before they come into the promised land in the book of Deuteronomy, all of that probably would have taken place at Mount Ebal at this altar that they were going to build. Because what we have here is the I do portion of the marital covenant being established between God and Israel as they are joined together. We, we read here in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse nine. Then Moses and the priests, the Levites spoke to all Israel saying, take heed and listen, O Israel. Note this, underline this in your Bible. So important. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. But, but weren't they already the people of the Lord God? Well, yeah, in, in one sense they were. But almost in the same way that a woman that is betrothed to a man is already considered married under Jewish law, but they weren't really married. They hadn't had the marriage ceremony. The, the ketubah was being drafted, it was being put together, the marital contract, but it had not been signed, it had not been read before witnesses, it had not been sealed there at the altar or in a Jewish ceremony today under a, a chuppah. You know, so now the officiant Moses with the priests, the Levites in Israel, he says to them, listen, when you bring about this event at this altar on Mount Ebal, Today you have become the people of the Lord your God. Today you have entered into this marital contract, if you will, with God. He is the groom and you are the bride. Today you have heard the statutes and judgments of the covenant that you have made with God. Look at this, verse 10. Therefore, you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today since you are his people. Today, you're going to become his people. And because you have become his people, therefore, you are going to observe the statutes and judgments of the Lord your God. But notice it's going to take place where? At an altar on this mountain there in Ebal. The blessings of being God's people and he being their God began at the altar. This is really, really key and important. And this is just as it is supposed to be within marriage. The blessings of being husband and wife, they should begin at the altar. And and truly, that should be the, the beginning of blessing. And the altar is the same place that all of this began with Abram back in Genesis chapter 12. What was Abram's first order of business when he came into the promised land? Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3, God says, Abraham, I want you to follow me and come to a land that you've never seen before, that I'm telling you of. I'm going to make you a great nation. And when he comes to that land, the very first thing that he did in Genesis chapter 12 verse 7 is he built an altar to the Lord. This is such a key thing for us to recognize. Abram, when he first came into the Promised Land, he built an altar. The children of Israel, when they first come into the Promised Land, they build an altar. And it speaks to us an important truth that life in the land of blessing, it always begins at an altar. And that's not only true for the children of Israel thousands of years ago, but it's also true for Christians, those who are in Christ, because the experience of the abundant life of blessing in a relationship with Christ as the bride of Christ and he is the groom. We're entering into a covenant relationship with Christ in a similar manner that the children of Israel thousands of years ago entered into a covenant relationship with God. The life in the land of blessing, it begins at that place of altar, and our life of experiencing abundance of life begins at the altar, a place with Christ. But in any covenant, While there are blessings, there are blessings associated with the marriage covenant and we're gonna see there's blessings associated with the covenant that God made with the children of Israel thousands of years ago. In any covenant, just in the same way that there are blessings, there are also the opposite of blessings, shall we say. And there needs to be a sober recognition that breaking the statutes and judgments of the covenant results in the opposite of blessing or curse, cursing. And anyone entering into a covenant needs to enter into that covenant soberly. In more traditional Christian high church weddings, there is a proclamation that's given at the beginning of the marriage service. Maybe this was given at the marriage service when you got married, or maybe you've heard it happen before. The officiant will say, marriage is an honorable estate. And it should not be entered into unadvisedly or lightly. But when a person or two individuals come into marriage or prepare to get married, they should enter into it reverently and discreetly, advisedly and soberly in the fear of God. And so this is what's happening with the children of Israel. Moses is sealing the deal, if you will. He's the officiant of the wedding between God and the children of Israel. And he has given the marital contract, the ketubah. He's read the statutes and judgments of the law. And they have said, I do, if you will. They're they are they're basically going through this whole process right here in this passage of saying, I do, to all these stipulations. And they have to be reminded of the blessings of the covenant, but also reminded of the curse of rejecting the covenant or not following after the Lord. So they're entering into this soberly. And back in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses had already talked about how this is going to happen, that they were going to come into the promised land and there's going to be two mountaintops, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And half of the tribes of Israel, half of the 12 tribes are going to go on Mount Gerizim and the other half are going to go on Mount Ebal. And there's something special that's going to be taking place. And on Mount Ebal, there is this this altar that they're going to build with whitewashed stones there. So we read this in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 11. And Moses commanded the people on the same day saying, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people of Israel when you have crossed over the Jordan, the tribe of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse the people of Israel, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali, And the levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all of the men of israel cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image an abomination to the lord the work of the hands of the craftsmen and sets it up in secret and all of the people shall answer and say amen so that last verse verse 15 it begins a series of 12 curses that we're going to see here in this passage And what's going to happen is that after each of these curses is read and each of these 12 curses are connected to the previously established statutes and judgments that we have considered together in the book of Deuteronomy over the last several months, after each of these 12 curses is read, the children of Israel will say amen to these things. So so imagine the picture, and I hope that I'm putting this together well enough for you, but here's the picture. Moses says, when you come into the promised land, I'm not going with you. But when you go into the promised land, you have to fulfill this covenant ceremony, this marital covenant ceremony that we've begun on the east side of the Jordan River. You're gonna go finish it on the west side of the Jordan River in the promised land. And half of the representatives of the nation of Israel are gonna stand on one mountain at Gerizim. And then there's a valley between the two of them. And then the rest of the nation of Israel, the other half of the tribes of Israel, their representatives are gonna stand on Mount Ebal. And on Mount Gerizim, they're going to declare the blessings of the covenant, the blessings of the law. And on Mount Ebal at this altar that is going to be a stone, uncut stone, whitewashed altar with the inscription of the judgments of the Lord. Each of the judgments is going to be read and the curse is associated with these judgments. And at the end of each curse, the children of Israel have to say, amen. Or if we were to update it to language in 2022, all of the people, instead of saying amen, they're going to say, I do, because amen, it means truly, or so be it, or I do. So this covenant that the children of Israel are going to enter into, this covenant and all covenants, the covenant requires a sober verbal consent from the people who are entering into this covenant. It is not and cannot be one-sided. It, it is not and cannot be compelled. It has to be entered into mutually and willingly. And so, so we have all these curses that we find here in this passage. And again, these are just the restatements of all of the statutes and judgments, not all of the statutes and judgments, but 12 of the statutes that God has already given to the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. These are the, the covenant contractual, marital contractual agreements between God as the groom and Israel as the bride. And so Moses says, when you come into the promised land, you're going to have this marital ceremony on Mount Ebal, and the Levites are going to say, cursed, in verse 16, cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt, and all the people shall say amen, or I do, and then the Levites, the priests, the officiants, they will say, cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say amen, and then cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road, and all the people shall say amen. And then cursed is the one who perverts justice do the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbors secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, and all of the people shall say, Amen. Those are all heavy things. As Moses says, you're going to come into the promised land, you're going to complete this marital ceremony, and as a part of the marital ceremony, the Levites are going to lead you through a reaffirmation of the curses of the law. If you don't keep up your end of the covenant, then cursed are you. Judgment will come on you. And all of you have to say, I do, amen. These are, these are heavy things. And that's why the covenant requires a sober verbal consent. There has to be a recognition of the weightiness of this. We don't enter into it unadvisedly, but we enter into it soberly in the fear of God. So the covenant requires a sober verbal consent because under the covenant, infidelity is accursed and judged. So if it is true, I mean, these are weighty, heavy things that if you don't follow these things, Israel, then you're going to bear the curse. Why bear the weight of such weighty things under the covenant? What is the benefit? What is the blessing? Well, he immediately goes in Deuteronomy chapter 28 from the curses in chapter 27 to the blessings. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture, but I think it's really important. This is kind of like a really key passage of the book of Deuteronomy that I've been looking forward to getting to. Deuteronomy 28 verse one. Now it shall come to pass if, and you might wanna circle that word if in your Bible. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, To observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that then the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses, and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, If there's that word, if again, if you keep the commandments of the Lord, your God to walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, the increase of your livestock and in the produce of your ground and in the land, which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give you rain on your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. It is most certainly true, as we saw at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 27, just a moment ago, that infidelity and unfaithfulness to the covenant of God is accursed and it will be judged, but it is a greater truth that covenantal faithfulness, it invites abundance and blessing. We see that here in this passage, blessed shall you be in the country, blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be when you go out, blessed shall you be when you come in, blessed shall be your fields and your flocks and all these great things covenantal faithfulness invites abundance and blessing and i love this passage of scripture throughout our study in the book of deuteronomy and we've been in the book of deuteronomy for a long time we started studying in the book of deuteronomy all the way back in january of 2020 but since the very beginning i have talked about what is termed the deuteronomic principle and This is the passage where this idea of the Deuteronomic principle is really most clearly expressed. The the Deuteronomic principle sounds real big, but all it really is is simply this. Obedience brings blessing, while disobedience brings a curse. It is a simple, conditional, algorithmic idea. If this, then that. If obedience, then blessing. If disobedience... We just saw the curses back in Deuteronomy chapter 27, but we have more of them in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Look at verse 15. I'm not going to read all this because there's a whole bunch of it. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey, there's that word if, circle it again. If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully his commandments and statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon and overtake you. And now it undoes every one of the blessings that we previously saw at the first portion of Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you do not obey, cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. Note this, verse 20, the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke, and all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings, which you have forsaken me. Again, I'm not going to read every single one of these because it's a very long section of scripture, but I think it's rather clear, obedience brings abundance of blessing, disobedience undoes every single blessing by bringing the opposite of the blessing, which is a curse. So skip all the way down to verse 58, Deuteronomy 28 verse 58. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then, so if, verse 58 Then, verse 59, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sickness. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague, which is not written in this book of the law, will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. You shall be left few in number. Whereas you were the stars of the heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. Those words are heavy. And, and the last verse that I just read, verse 63, it, it might be one of the most striking there in this passage. God says, in the same way that I rejoiced over you to multiply you and to bless you, I will rejoice over you to destroy you if you turn away from me. It, it's almost too much to bear. I mean, you have these great blessings in the law. The covenant, God says, you're going to be my people. We are joined together in a covenant. We're joined together as husband and wife, if you will, in this marital covenant. And because of that, the blessings are going to overcome and overtake you because you are connected to the God of the universe. However, if you forsake this covenant and if you turn away from this covenant, then you forfeit all of those blessings and you receive all of these curses. The blessings are sandwiched in between curses in chapter 27 and curses in chapter 28. And all of these curses are almost too much to bear. And that actually is the point. As I've said many times as we've gone through the book of Deuteronomy, that's the point. The the covenant, the law, all the curses that go along with it, the blessings are amazing. The privileges are phenomenal. To be God's people is a wonderful thing. To be connected to him in covenant is an amazing thing, but the blessings are almost too much to bear. It's an amazing thing because King David, hundreds of years later, he would write in Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. He says, I love your law. I think about it all the time. And yet it's, it's a heavy burden. The apostle Paul in the book of Romans, he says that the law, it is holy and the commandment is holy, just, and good. The commandments in the book of Deuteronomy, they are right and they are true and they are good and obedience to them brings blessing. If obedience, then blessing. But the law is also, extremely heavy, because if disobedience, then you will experience the opposite of blessing, cursing. So, the law is so heavy that we can't bear it. And that's the point. Paul, in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And then he goes on a few verses later in verse 22 and says, for I delight in the law of God according to the inner man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is what the law does very, very well. It saddles us with a burden that is too great to bear. Its statutes and its judgments and its blessings are clear and they are good. But the problem is not with the law. The problem is with me. I cannot keep the law. So what then, what, what do we do? Well, there's really only one option. If you are connected to God through the law, joined to him in this marital contract through the law, which its blessings are great, but if you don't keep the law perfectly, then you experience the curses of it. What is the option if you're joined to him in this legal relationship? Well, the covenant of the law is binding until death. It is only death that is able to disannul, if you will, the covenant and the law. And this is exactly what we find in the New Testament. Romans chapter 7 verse 1, Paul says, or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he is alive. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death but now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter is the law a bad thing absolutely not the law is holy it is just it is good it is a good covenant that god made with the children of israel there at mount sinai first and then again there at the border of promise the promised land in the book of deuteronomy it's a great covenant the problem was not the covenant. There's, there's nothing in the law that changed from Exodus to Deuteronomy, but the law was a burden and the first group of people that entered into the covenant at, at Mount Sinai, they, they couldn't keep it. And then the next group of people who enter into the covenant there at the Jordan River getting ready to prom- cross over into the promised land, ultimately we will see in the Old Testament that they couldn't keep it. There's nothing wrong with the law, but the law reveals the problem and the problem is us. The law is holy, just, and good. It does what it is intended to do. It brings us to the place of death. It brings us to the place where we realize that we cannot keep the righteous requirements of the law. And so all we have to look forward to is the curses of the law, because yes, the blessings look so good, but we would have to be perfect to lay hold of those blessings. And we all come short of that. So the law brings us to the point of death so that we might find life. It burdens us so that we can bring our burdens and lay them down at the feet of Christ. You see, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Without the law, I would not have known my, my true condition as a sinner. But the law was not given to make us righteous. It was given to make us ready for the righteousness of Christ. Paul later in another letter would write to the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. As David said, thousands of years ago, I love the law. I love the book of Deuteronomy. I love the Deuteronomic principle, this idea of if obedience, then blessing. But I don't love it because I'm able to keep it. I don't love it because I'm able to apprehend or lay hold of blessing by keeping the law. I love the law because it points me to the only one who can ultimately give me true righteousness because I can't make myself righteous by the law. In trying to keep the law, I find that I can't do it. I can't keep it. And then I find the ultimate blessing that is not found at the altar of the law, but is found at the foot of the cross. Jesus is the one who said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, a lot of people, maybe you, are burdened and saddled with the weight of the law. You're trying to keep all kinds of requirements, whatever requirements they may be. Maybe the requirements that we find in Deuteronomy, maybe the requirements of some other religion, some other faith. Whatever it is, you're trying to attain perfection or enlightenment, or to be good or holy or a saint by your own keeping of the law. None of that will ever work because although there are blessings in keeping God's law, the reality is is that you do not have the capacity within yourself to keep God's law, so you will always fall short, and if you don't fulfill the law in every point, then you will receive the curses of the law, the judgment of the law. Its judgments are holy, just, and good, and that's a burden. That's a burden should, that should bring us to the place where we find ourselves at the altar of Christ, saying, Lord, take this burden, and Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for rest. And only in Jesus Christ is that rest found. And I hope that you know that truth, because that is the gospel truth, that Jesus is the one who took the weight of our sin, and he dealt with us with it on the cross for us, so that he could give to you and give to me his righteousness. In the New Testament, in Second Corinthians chapter 5, It says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God and Christ. That is the good gospel truth. You can't save yourself by the keeping of the law. It's holy, just, and good, but its burden is great. And it should compel us to come to Jesus and say, take this burden. God, I hope that anyone who hears this message, watches it, whether it's on the day that it releases or months from now or years from now, whenever it is, Lord, that they would hear your truth coming through the scriptures and that you administer by your spirit and draw them to the place where they would call out to you and say, Lord, take this burden from me. And if that's you right now, that's all you have to do is call out to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I've been trying to be perfect. I've been trying to be right. I've been trying to be good by my own efforts. And you just fall short and fail constantly. That's the whole point that you would come to the place where you are poor in spirit and you call out to the Lord and say, Lord, save me. All you have to do, you're at home sitting on a couch, whatever it is listening to this on a podcast, I don't know where you're at, but God would call to you and say, come to me, you who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Just call out to him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Take the burden of my sin away from me and help me to have faith and trust in you and to receive your righteousness. That's all you have to do. Lord, we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.